time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life. How you doing? Good to see all of you. How many of you got less than two hours sleep last night? Come on. You're lying. Come on. You don't want your counselor to know. I mean, this is an honest group over here. How many of you got less than two hours sleep last night? This is the whole bunch right here, right? How many of you got washed out of Tent City yesterday? The storm hit, I heard about that. All right, how many of you are so hyped up on Red Bull right now you see three of me on the stage? <laughs> Let me just remind you, all right, water. Drink water. We don't want any ambulances toting some of you off because you're hyped up on Red Bull. It's good to be with you, by the way. I had a, a really weird dream last night. You want to hear about this dream? I, I don't ever have bad dreams, but I had an, almost a nightmare last night because I was thinking about this and I, what I'm speaking on. So I went to, I went to sleep pretty early and I, I dreamed last night that I was at the mall with my wife and they would not let us leave. I'm serious. This was a, it, was a, it was a nightmare. Honestly, I'm not joking about it. It was a nightmare. I woke up in a cold sweat because in this, the, the security team of this mall told me I had to stay there forever. It's like Hotel California. You can check in, but you can't check out. And so and then they gave me an option. You can leave the mall if you climb up this huge ladder. Out, oh, it was this way up high. You had to climb over this ladder. And the only really fear that I have is fear of heights. So I had the choice in my dream last night to either climb over this really high ladder to get out of the mall or to stay there for eternity in the mall with my wife. And then I woke up, and I haven't made my choice yet. I don't know what to do. But I think I'm going to come to a decision by the end of the day because by the time I go to bed tonight, I don't want to ever have that dream again, all right? So pray for me. All right, open your Bibles to 1 Samuel 17. 1 Samuel 17. Everybody bring your Bible today? If you don't have a Bible, we'll give you one, all right? We want you to have a Bible before you leave desperation. 1 Samuel 17. I want to speak to you this morning just for a very few minutes on the rules for war. The rules for war. How many of you know, you know, we're all here. We're at this conference. We're, it's all safe and fun and nice here. But back in the real world where we all live, how many of you know we're in a fight? An epic fight. And maybe you haven't discovered that yet, but when you say yes to Christianity, when you say yes to following Jesus, you are thrust into not only this relationship with the living God, you become the temple of the Holy Spirit, all those great things, but you're also thrust into an epic fight where we have a role, we have a battle on our hands. We have a real enemy. The Bible says that he wants to steal, to kill, and to destroy. First Peter says that he goes about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That we have this fight, we have this enemy, we have someone that doesn't want us to survive. In fact, he wants to kill us, he wants to rob from us, he wants to take everything we have and leave us destitute and dead if, if possible. This is the fight that we're in. That's the, that's the bad news. The good news is, take heart, for I have overcome the world. This is what Jesus said. Jesus looked at his disciples and said, many of you, if not most of you, will be persecuted. The majority of you will spend some time in prison, and some of you are going to die. In this world, you will have trouble. 
but take heart. Now, take, think about that phrase just for a minute. You ever, you ever lost heart? Have you ever been afraid? I mean, seriously afraid. Have you ever, and, it, and it's, most of us would never admit it, most of the guys in the room especially, we would never admit if we were ever afraid. Well, let's just be honest. You ever been bullied? You ever, you ever had someone threaten you? You ever had someone that was bigger, older, a parent, make you afraid? Have you ever, you ever been in a place where you didn't know if you were going to live or die? And see, this is, real fear has a way of paralyzing us. Real fear, that terror, when it gets into your heart, totally shuts you down as a believer. And see, God has called us to something radical. This generation, our generation, is called to something radical. Let me tell you what's about to happen in the next 10 years, all right? I'm, I'm going to give you a prophetic word about the world that we're going to be living in the next 10 years. The dark is going to get darker, and Christ followers are going to get braver. The darkness is going to get darker, and the light is going to get brighter. That's what's about to happen. And so we have a choice this morning to either live timid, with shrinking back, afraid, or we can embrace this courage, not from ourselves. I'm talking about courage from heaven itself. Courage to do war. Well, let's look at this story. A lot of you know this story in 1 Samuel 17. It's the story of David and Goliath. And David had some older brothers that were in the army. And they were at a battle. And David's dad said, take them some cheese and crackers. And so he loaded up this mule. He's about 15 or 16 years old. And he goes out to where the, the fight's about to happen to take his brothers some food. And when he comes up on the fight scene, here's the way it looked. The Philistine army is up on this side of the hill. There's a big valley. And on this side of the hill is the army of Israel, the army of the living God. But the army of the living God was not necessarily full of courage this day. Because, see, the Philistines had this guy named Goliath, who some people believe was about nine foot tall. And he had, he, was a, he had been a soldier from his youth, the Bible says. The Bible says he had been in many battles. In other words, the armor that he had on had real dents in it, blood on it from real battles. Like we used to say in Texas, he wasn't all hat and no cattle. You get that? If you don't speak redneck, somebody will tell you about that later. This guy had been in real fights, and he had won all of them. He's a big man, strong man. And here's what was happening. He was using an ancient tactic. A lot of times when two armies would come together, instead of all of them fighting and lots of people dying, one army would say to the other army, hey, send out your best man. The two of us will fight, and whoever wins, that army wins. All right, let's pick it up here. Verse 8. This is exactly what Goliath was doing. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine? Are you not the servants of Saul? Now, underline this, choose a man. I'm going to tell you why it's important in just a minute. Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he is able to fight and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. And then the Philistine said, this day I defy the ranks of Israel. Underline it again. Give me, say it with me, give me a man. Say it one more time. Give me a man. And let us fight each other. 
And on hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. Fear had gripped their heart and had robbed them of this faith, this courage that God so desperately wanted to give them. I know what that feels like, by the way. When I was in the ninth grade, I was about a buck 35, which again is redneck for 135 pounds. I'm giving you some terms here today. I'm going to go back with a new vocabulary. I weighed about a buck 35, I was, but I was wiry. You know, I was, uh, you know, I was, I was athletic. I played on, on, this, on the junior varsity high school baseball team that freshman year. And about halfway through the baseball season, a group of seniors got in trouble, got thrown off a team, and so they called me up from the JV to play on the varsity my freshman year of high school. And that was kind of a, quite a big honor because baseball was a big deal at the school where I went, and we always had a really good baseball team, and so for me as a freshman to get to play on the varsity was a big deal. But the seniors who were left on the team didn't exactly want a little red-headed freshman taking the spot in the center field of their buddy who had been thrown off the team. And they made it known to me that I was not welcome on the team. And literally, me and this one other guy, this other freshman, they treated us like dogs. I mean, you've heard of hazing? This is not hazing. They treated us like dogs. And so one day after practice, the, the coach got a phone call and had to leave the practice field and he left only the players down at the baseball field, which was about, I don't know, three or 400 yards away from his office. And so because we were the two freshmen, we had to pick up all the equipment. And so the, the rest of them were waiting for us. We picked up all the equipment. And I remember having like my, my glove and, and this two big bags on my shoulders. And I'm walking toward the gym to t put the equipment up. And a, those seniors grabbed me, a group of them. Even if I didn't have a big bag on my shoulders, there's no way I could have defended myself because I was so small. And they held me down, and they put a rope around my neck, and they pulled it real tight. And they started mocking me and yelling at me, and then they started pulling me while holding my hands behind my back. They had a rope around my neck and started pulling me across the field up the hill. At that time, I mean, I'd never had, as far as I knew, I didn't really had never had a, a thought that I might die, but right then I thought I might die. I thought they're gonna break my neck or they're gonna strangle me because I couldn't breathe. The rope was pulled around my neck. They're dragging me. Finally, they got enough to drop the rope. They thought that was a, a lot of fun. They went into the gym, left me with a big old bloody mark around my neck like I'd been hung. So I got up, you know, I'm embarrassed. I'm ashamed, you know, you don't wanna, being bullied is humiliating. And, and I, 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 I would have defended myself if I could have, but I couldn't. And I remember going home that night, and my dad, I didn't want my dad to see it. I didn't, want my, I didn't want to tell my dad that I'd been bullied, and I didn't want my dad to see my neck. Not because, I mean, it was because I'm ashamed. I was ashamed. I didn't want my dad to see that. And so I went in that night. I, put, I remember putting my collar up like this, trying to hide it, you know. But I came out of the shower and my brother saw it. He saw this big old red bloody mark around my neck. And he said, what happened? And I, you know, I didn't want to tell my brother. So he went and told my dad, you need to look at Brady. So he comes in, he sees this around my neck and he makes me tell him the story. And I remember my dad, you know, my dad was a real man. And I loved him and I respected him and I didn't want him to ever be embarrassed about me or ashamed of me. But he looked at me 
listening to me tell the story, and I'll never forget what he said. Son, you don't have to go to school tomorrow. I'm going to school. And I, you know, I really don't know what happened that next day at school. He never really told me. He wouldn't tell me. All I know is when I arrived at school the next day, later in the day, that baseball coach and the principal were super nice to me for the rest of the school year. I mean, I was treated as good as anybody in the school. And those boys, those senior boys that had made my life miserable for weeks, never bothered me again. Never bothered me again. And what happened in my heart that day is I realized, as a young man, that I had a dad on the earth who would defend me. My dad on the earth could not always prevent bad things from happening to me, but when they did, I had a dad on the earth who would defend me and come to my defense. Now, here's what I believe about the Christian walk. Jesus said, we're going to walk through tough times, but I am with you always. You're in the palm of my hand. Nothing can take you from the palm of my hand. I am beside you. He said, my love is high and wide and deep and long. In fact, no matter how hard you try to outrun my love, wherever you turn, you're going to encounter the love of God. Now, that is the way you're going to walk through the earth. And if you realize that, you'll never be afraid again, no matter what happens. Well, fast forward, not long after that incident, a guy named Shane Williams. He was one of those kids in the freshman year that looked like he was 30. You know, you, you know those kids that look like they have kids, like five or six kids? He matured like in sixth grade. He had a full beard in sixth grade, I think. And he weighed about 200 pounds. And every day, or most days, I don't want to say every day, but most days on the playground after lunch, while we're standing around, he would come up to me and say, Brady, I'm going to whip your eek. And so, uh, it, it's not a bad, I don't want to, don't worry about that word. Anyway, uh, we'll delete that. But that's what he would say to me every day, and he would intimidate me, get in my face. And, and so I went home, and this time I told my dad. I said, Dad, Shane Williams, just, you know, I already got rid of these other bullies, now this guy's bothering me. Now this is really bad parenting, right? What I'm about to tell you should not be, don't ever do this, okay? I'm just telling you a story. But don't do what I'm about to tell you my dad told me to do, okay? This is very bad parenting. I'll never forget my dad putting a, a bag of sand about the same height as Shane Williams' face on the clothesline in our backyard. <laughs> this is really bad advice, guys. I'm sorry, youth pastors, I'm really sorry. This is a bad story. I should not be telling this story, but it proves a point, all right? And you've done the same thing on Wednesday night at your youth meeting, all right? All right, so there's a big bag hanging about the same height as Shane Williams' face. My dad says, tomorrow, Brady... When Shane comes up to you and says he's going to whip your, he said, I want you to hit him right there, right? Nose, mouth, kind of that, comp right there, as hard as you can. And he, he, he wanted me to practice. So I'm in the backyard going, pow, hitting a, black, a bag. Sure enough, right on cue, Shane Williams walks up to me. And remember, I'm 130, 35 pounds. He's 200 pounds. And I, this is, I mean, even though my dad told me to do it, I'm still afraid. My knees... But I didn't want to go back home and tell my dad I didn't do what he told me. So I had to obey. I mean, I had to obey a bad order. Bad parenting. Let me just confirm that again. Parents, this is horrible parenting. 
Sure enough, Shane Williams comes to me and says, I'm going to whip your, and as soon as he said your, I hit him as hard as I could right in that spot my dad told him, and blood come out of his nose, his mouth is bleeding, falls to the ground, cries like a baby. Ah, ah, ah. I, I, I was like, this is like a movie. I'm serious. It was, that worked. I, I couldn't believe that worked. Now listen, don't do that, all right? And the reason is we don't live in the same... That was 1982. I'm old, very old. That doesn't work in 2010, okay? You need to walk away from trouble. Don't hit people. It's a different world we're living in today, okay? But here's the point. You walk away when you can, every time. But don't you ever be afraid. See, it's the difference. Walking away doesn't mean you're afraid. Walking away means you're smart most of the time. But don't ever be afraid. This is what my dad was teaching me. He's very old school. My dad grew up old school redneck. There's old school and there's old school redneck. And it's a different world. My dad was old school redneck. What my dad was teaching me was, Brady, I'm here to defend you. But one day I'm going to be gone. I'm not going to always be near your side. Brady, don't let anyone intimidate you. Don't be intimidated. So I want to give you the two rules for war. Here's the first one. Refuse to be intimidated. Don't, don't let it. You know, you know that the, just like Shane Williams, and God bless him, I hope he's serving God with his hair on fire right now, but he wasn't then. But just like then, Satan's greatest weapon against us is a bluff. All, almost always, what you're hearing in your heart right now that's causing you to be afraid is most likely a lie. It's a bluff. It's like somebody going, huh, and you're causing you to flinch all the time. They don't intend to hit you. They just want to keep you afraid of them. It's a lie. It's a bluff. And this army that God's raising up right now, this army that God's trying to raise up around the country is an army that will not be afraid. Not going to be intimidated. Almost three years ago, on this campus, on a Sunday morning, we just finished our 11 o'clock service, and a gunman came on our campus and opened fire in our parking lot on the east side of our building. He killed two girls that day, Rachel and Stephanie Works, and by the way, they sat in many desperation conferences. They, were des they, they took the vow. These were godly young girls that died in our parking lot. In fact, their little sister, Grace, is here right now for her first desperation. And I don't want to embarrass her, but I want you all to give a big shout to Grace right now. So their little sister is taking the bow like her two big sisters. You see, what happened is I was in my office when that happened. I was up in my office for having lunch, and my assistant broke open the door and said, there's, there's a shooter on our campus, and I could hear the gunshots right underneath me. Pop, 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 automatic gunfire. Now, remember, that old feeling returned to me. I was terrified for about a minute. I'll say to you, I was, I was really afraid. And the reason I was afraid was not because I felt like my life was at risk. The reason I was afraid is because my wife and two kids were downstairs, I thought. And I couldn't find my cell phone quick enough, and I ran over and I grabbed my cell phone, and I hit speed dial, and my wife's voice was on the other line. And she said, I said, where are you? She was at a restaurant. She had just left the campus. And I remember 
something settling in my heart. My emotions went from being terrified to something else happened. I felt this holy defiance. It was almost like I flashed back to my freshman year of high school. And I could see those bullies grabbing me again and putting a rope around my neck again, trying to kill me or harm me. And that feeling again came back to me like, how dare you? I am not going to be afraid of this thing. And we didn't know if there was one shooter, two shooters, three shooters. We didn't know any of the details. I just remember God coming to me and saying, do not be afraid. And while I saw people running, scattering out my window, running for cover, police cars coming on our campus, FBI showing up, helicopters flying all around our campus, I just remember a strange sense of holy defiance. Looking our enemy in the eye and not being intimidated is the biggest and first step if you're going to live this life that God's calling you to. If you're easily shaken, if you're easily intimidated, you will not do the big, nasty, audacious thing that God's calling you to do. God's calling us to a life that is mysterious and risky and dangerous. This world that God's calling us into is not always going to feel safe or even be safe. If you're asking God, God, give me a safe life, then you're about to live a boring life. God's calling us to a world where there's real danger, where there's a real enemy, and he wants to intimidate you. He wants you to say no to your assignment because you're afraid. Only the bold, only the courageous will stand in these next days and say, I will not be intimidated. In every battle, and you can study war if you want, military history tells you the aggressive army almost always wins. The army that's fighting for something, for someone who's not intimidated, often wins the battle. Almost always. The army that engages first, calls the bluff, normally wins. Rule number one, don't refuse to be intimidated. Here's rule number two, and this is super important. Rule number two is this, run to the battle. The aggressor has the advantage. I want you to write this down because this is something to talk about today when you're together with your friends. God will not bring victory to a battle in which you're not willing to engage. God will defend the weak. God does bring justice to those who are oppressed. No question about it. But the fight that you're in, God's most likely waiting for you to engage. Engage. Pray. Fast. Speak out. And this is, these are the weapons of our warfare, not Connor. We're not fighting against flesh and blood. We're fighting against spiritual powers, with real power. The problem is, most of us have not tapped in to the real power that's inside of us, which is greater than the world. Every one of you, not just me, not just Pastor David, not just a handful of us, all of us have this helmet of salvation, the breastplate of righteousness, the shield of faith, the sword of the, sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Our feet are prepared, our belt is on. We have it. 
If only we would engage. If only we would not shrink back and be cowardly. I remember that Wednesday night after the shooting, we had a meeting, a family meeting right here in this room. It was packed with new lifers. And we were here to mourn the loss of our two family members. And we did. We cried. We hugged. We prayed. But at the end of that night, I'll never forget Pastor Ross coming on the stage and John Egan was up here from the D-band. All our guys that lead worship, all our guys and girls that lead worship were up here. And I remember the opening guitar rips, boom, of everyone overcome. And the atmosphere of this place, I've never felt it. Any, any other time, we had an, that was an epic worship moment we had with, with Jesus' culture. But I've never, ever, ever felt the intensity of God's love like that night, three days after the shooting. And I remember, I was kind of sitting right over here, and I remember just almost stepping back and looking into that moment, looking at the church, worshiping. and I mean, we should have been on our face crying, and we had cried, we have mourned, but there was something that rose up in us. Holy defiance. We made a covenant with one another that night. Without even saying it, we were making covenant with one another that you can count on me. I'm in the fight with you. I'm standing next to you, shoulder to shoulder, side to side if necessary. And so slowly over the last two and a half, three years, our church, and they it, a lot of times felt like small steps, but we made steps forward. And now they're full strides, shoulder to shoulder, side by side, doing what God's called us to do. This place should be a big old used car lot right now. It should be, most churches don't survive what we've gone through. The reason I believe that God's lampstand is in this place is because we lifted our head. We cried when we needed to cry, but we stood side by side and said, I'm in. I'm all in. Let's take a step forward. Let's take the ground that God's called us to take. So David, who may be 15 or 16 years old, is watching his brothers, his king, his friends shrink back. They're, they're terrified. And David looks at them and says, what's going on here? What, what's going on? What, what is wrong with you people? I can hear David say that respectfully. <laughs> what's wrong with you? He said, I, I'm just a poor shepherd boy. I'm just, I just spend most of my time on the back of my dad's property guarding sheep. He said, not long ago, a lion came and grabbed one of my sheep, and I killed that lion. And then not long after that, a bear came and, and had actually one of my sheep in its mouth, and I pried open its mouth and took the lamb out. By the way, if you see a bear in Colorado with a lap dog in its mouth, let him have it, all right? That's not, that's not smart. So David's telling him his stories. He goes, listen, I've killed a lion. I've killed a bear. God is with me. God is with us. Why are we afraid? He said, give me the sword. I'll go down and fight this Philistine. And they all laughed. And listen, by the way, people will laugh at your courage. They'll tell you you're too young. You're not mature enough to do what you think you can do in your heart. They'll try to talk you out of it. And this is why Paul told Timothy, don't let anyone despise you because of your youth. In fact, sometimes it takes a young revolutionary to make the rest of us old people move forward. 
Is there any young revolutionaries in the house this morning? This is what David was. He was a young revolutionary. And these, the old people had decided to shrink back, go run to their cave, hide. And Saul says, you can't do this, but I'll give you my armor. A lot of people are going to try to put their identity on you. You have your own identity. God gave it to you. You don't all have to be like me. You don't have to do things like me. Be yourself. The greatest thing you can do for the kingdom of heaven is to be yourself. And David knew that. He said, I can't use this stuff. But I do know what I can use. I have this slingshot. Now think about this. He had a slingshot. This Philistine had a, a javelin, a sword that he knew how to use. Real weapons for battle. And David says, no. I know how God made me, and I am not afraid to use my slingshot because I know God is with me. Sure enough, he walks out, and I love what he says to Goliath. Listen, you, want to, you know there's trash talking in the Bible? You want to hear it? This is the Old Testament trash talking. All right, listen to this, verse 45. Remember, he's standing out by himself. And by the way, many times God's going to call you, the great thing that God's going to call you to do, at first you may have to stand alone. Others will join you, by the way. They will. But sometimes you have to stand by yourself and be the courageous one. So David's out there by himself, facing a man that's much bigger than him and much more experienced. And David said to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. Now, I love this. Anytime you tell someone what you're about to do to them and then go do it, that's true trash talking. He said, I'm going to tell you what's about to happen here, big boy. This day the Lord will hand you over to me, and I'm going to strike you down and cut off your head. Today, in just a few minutes, I'm going to give... And then I think, at this point, I think David is talking to Goliath. And then I think he raises his voice so that all the armies that are behind Goliath could hear him. I think he upped his voice level a little bit. He said... He said, today I'm going to give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds of the air and the beasts of the earth, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. And all those gathered here will know that this is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's. Say this, the battle is the Lord's. And he'll give you, give all of you into our hands, and I love this, verse 48 is one of my favorite scriptures in all the Bible. It's the scripture the Lord spoke to me on that Sunday when the shooting happened. The Lord spoke this to me. As the Philistine moved closer to attack him, David ran quickly toward the battle line to meet him. Step forward and watch your enemies dissipate. I'm not talking about people, listen. I'm not talking about human beings. I'm talking about spiritual Forces that want to steal, kill, and destroy. God is waiting for a generation that believes this scripture. Step forward. Step forward. And that's exactly what happened. Exactly what David said happened, happened. And I believe this morning that some of you know that you're in a fight. And you've lost your heart. you lost your courage. God, God calling you to live the vow, but the vow takes courage. Living the vow takes courage. 
It's not for the meek. It's not for the cowardly. Living that vow, a consecrated heart, a lifestyle of worship, prayer and mission, all the parts of the vow require great courage to do it. And I believe the Lord wants to give you your heart back today so that you can say yes. And I don't want to, I don't want to overhype this. The life that God's calling you to is full of uncertainty, mystery, and risk. It takes courage. It takes courage to look in the eyes of the enemy and say, I'm not, I know I'll never be shaken. When I walk through the valley, I will not fear. You are, you are my God. I will not fear. I will not be afraid. I am not going to be terrified. No matter what happens, no matter what comes through those gates, <laughs> I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to be shaken. On Christ the solid rock I stand. And all other ground is, come on, say it with me, sinking sand. And remember when I told you to underline, I'd send me a man? Send me a man! Goliath said it twice. Send me a man! Send me a man! I believe God said, no. You know what, Satan? You're always overestimating what it takes to kick your behind. Instead, I'm going to send you a boy. Send me a man! Now, all it takes is a boy. God's about to send some of you, boys, into a fight that was meant for a man. And in that moment, you'll find manhood. I, believe, I do believe God's calling boys into manhood. God's calling you to be man. But he can use you as a boy. What are you waiting on? Come on, I, what are you waiting on? What are you afraid of? What's intimidating you right now? Anything? Can you close your eyes with me just for a moment? And I want you to ask yourself that question. Is there anything that causes me to be afraid? Is there anything right now that has intimidated me to the place where I, I'm not doing what God has called me to do? And, and it may not be a a huge assignment, it may just be something small and you know God's asking you to do something to take a chance to get out of your safety zone to set aside the safe place that you'd rather be and, and embrace the journey that God wants you, but you've stepped back because something has intimidated you so the first step is to follow rule number one confess to the Lord I'm afraid I don't want to be intimidated anymore, Lord. And then rule number two is get busy running to the fight. Get busy praying like you've never prayed before. Get busy speaking the scriptures over your circumstance like never before. Run to the fight. God 
doesn't always need a man. God loves to use boys and girls. If you're willing, if you're not afraid. Can I pray for you right now? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your Holy Spirit. Father, thank you today that we do not have to shrink back and be afraid another minute. Father, in the name of Jesus, I bind fear in the hearts of people in this room. Father, I bind fear in my own heart. It tends to creep back in. Fear that wants to keep me from moving forward into the fight. Father, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you're have given us all we need to overcome. If only we would run to the battle. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Lord. And over time, this doesn't look as attractive as it once did because you're fixing your eyes on the things of the kingdom. I'm just talking about a thousand that have a vision for their heart. They've got passion for God. They're leading intercession on their schools. They're set apart, consecrated under God. And they've got a vision and a mission for their life.